Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lights Out, a horror movie podcast. I'm KJ, and on this week's episode, I'm going to be reviewing 2021 British horror film, Censor. So I just recently heard about Censor probably about a month ago. I know this film came out during Sundance, and I started hearing a little bit about it there. Um, and then really I didn't hear too much about it until I believe May, going into June when you know, hearing about movies that was coming out in June, that's when I heard about Censor from a few horror uh, film lovers, <laughs> YouTubers and stuff. And yeah, I put this pretty much right at the top of my list, I guess, watch list, you could say, because I just saw a little bit of clips and just, um, you know, the idea of the film and kind of the plot synopsis. I was really pretty much interested in this film. I thought it sounded really good and just, you know, some pictures, stills and some, you know, a little bit of trailer footage. I thought the movie looked really interesting. So yeah, this was a film that kind of, like I said, came out. Um, it's a lower budget British film, but I'm really glad I checked it out. So I'm gonna do a little bit of background on the film first before we dive into kind of a little bit of the plot and then my overall thought of the film. So Censor is directed by Prano Bailey Bond, who this is actually her first feature length film. She actually has directed um, some short films and wrote some short films. Um, I would say the short film that she's most noted for, from what I saw in research, was a film called Nasty that came out in 2015. And that actually dealt with video nasties, and Censor um, deals with video nasties as well. So I would say Nasty was kind of her pre-film uh, before getting into Censor, even though, from what I've read, Nasty, her short film, has really no... It's not the same story. It's about, a, I believe, a young kid who's um, really interested in video nasties and watching them and then kind of goes from there, where Censor is actually a different <laughs> movie by itself. But this director is um, obviously influenced and um, into, I guess, I don't want to say into, but video nasties. <laughs> she also co-wrote the film with Anthony Fletcher. And just after some quick research, I didn't uh, he's another one, I believe, who hasn't done too much, just some short films. So, yeah, this is a feature, you know, a first feature-length film for the director. And, yeah, it's a really good um, opening film for her, I would say. Also, the film was released, had its American um, debut at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival, where um, it was released at midnight, I believe, for the big midnight showing there. And, you know, started creating some buzz with horror fans and, you know, through social media. Then it was released in U.S. theaters on June 11th and then VOD on June 18th. And that's how I was able to watch it was VOD. I rented the film, uh, I believe, for like 6 or $7 on Amazon Prime or Amazon. <laughs> but I saw, too, that the, right now it's only released in the U.S., actually. Um, so it comes out, I believe, later in either July or August in the UK and then some other countries as well. So as of right now, this is basically just a U.S. released film. But, you know, I think more people will get a chance to check it out later in the summer. Um, I couldn't find anything on budget for the film, but I would assume this is a very low budget uh, horror film. And then the box office gross, as of right now in the U.S., is just 90, uh, 69K. So yeah, just a small kind of opening for a film. I actually saw that it was playing at some theaters near me, some smaller theaters too. But like I said, I just haven't, <laughs> you know, when movies are getting released to VOD, I just kind of, it's a hard, for, it's hard for me to kind of go out and check, you know, go to a movie theater when I'm able to just watch it at home. So yeah, um, on IMDb, the movie's got some pretty good reviews. Um, IMDb is actually a little bit 
um, less, I would say, of good reviews. Um, 5.8 out of 10. Has a Rotten Tomato score of 87% and a letterbox of 3.2 out of 5. So some pretty good reviews. Um, yeah, the Rotten Tomato is probably the best. The 87% uh, critic review, that's pretty solid. In the IMDb, like I've mentioned before, anything kind of in the mid 5.5 and higher for a horror film I consider pretty good. So 5.0 out of 10 right now, I would say is pretty solid. And a letterbox, I would say almost anything out of 3 out of 5 is usually pretty solid for an over overall uh, consensus. So a 3.2 out of 5 is pretty good too. I'm trying to think that that's really the only thing I've found so much for the background of the film. Um, like I said, it's just a smaller, but you know, a smaller, smaller horror film, kind of a psychologic horror film. And yeah, I definitely hope more people check it out. I think it's going to do well, you know, on VOD. And then if it lands on a streaming site as well, I think, you know, a lot of people will check out this film eventually. And I saw a lot of horror, you know, critics and, you know, horror YouTubers, you know, a lot of people have been checking out this film and it's been getting, you know, some buzz since it got released. Um, on VOD on June 18th. All right, so I'm not going to go, um, you know, scene by scene. I'm kind of just going to give an overall kind of plot synopsis um, with spoilers, of course, and then I kind of want to talk about a little bit of the themes and then what I thought of the film. But the film, you know, the main character in this film is Enid, who is a video censor, and she's working in, I believe it's 1985 in Britain, and this is during the video nasty um, era, I guess you could say, so if anyone, if you don't know, I didn't know too much about Video Nasties. That was one of the reasons I was interested in this film, you know, uh, when I heard the plot synopsis. But Video Nasties, basically, yeah, during the 1980s, um, when film cassettes were, you know, getting released in the in UK, you know, some groups, some religious groups, some, <laughs> I guess I keep saying groups, they were... Um, terming these films video nasties because they were just real scared and nervous of you know young kids watching these films and that it was going to lead to violence and even you know some of the crimes they were saying were you know related or because of video nasties they were blaming some movies you know these there were always low budget horror films and they were always from uh, the u.s i don't think any of these films were actually uk films but most of the films were um, U.S. films, Canadian films that got the term video nasty. So yeah, it's just this really interesting time period in the U.K., which like I said, I didn't know much about. So I did, you can, if you just Google video nasties, you can find a lot of articles, a lot of deep dives into it and kind of the craze, like I guess, you know, it's just kind of an era of people being real afraid of horror films, basically. And, you know, like I said, these small groups trying to, you know, get them banned and you know trying to warn people not to watch them so it's just really interesting and now you know a lot of the films i believe there was like 72 video you know films that were termed video nasties <laughs> and they pretty much you know now it's like a badge of honor to have that title but yeah they're just real low budget horror films and I believe like the Evil Dead and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the thing maybe even got, you know, the term video nasty. But yeah, because in Britain, you know, before the video cassettes, they only watched movies on, I believe, like three channels I saw. And then once, you know, video cassettes were getting popular and released, you know, basically the population was getting real scared. And they even I saw one article <laughs> where they were even saying that if, you know, if someone had this film on 
and a dog <laughs> or an animal happened to be in the same room that it could have them, you know, act a certain way or, you know, make them more violent. So it's just a really interesting kind of, I don't even want to say crazy time, but just a really interesting period of time. And you hear that nowadays with video games, you know, you always get that conversation as, you know, video games too violent, you know, does it lead to, you know, younger kids to, you know, act violent when they get older, you know, that subject's always, you know, still around, I guess you could say. So it's not hard to believe that, you know, this video nasty era, you know, happened basically because you still see it today, especially like I said, with video games, a lot of times you see a lot of talk of video games, you know, you know, violent, like Grand Theft Auto with, you know, if that's going to lead to violence. So it's just real interesting. But yeah, check video, you know, like I said, just Google video nasties and you can find, you know, a lot of information on it. So that was kind of, like I said, my intro going into this film was I was really interested, you know, in this period. And, you know, like I said, I didn't know too much about it. But so, yeah, our main character, Enid, is a video sensor. And she's kind of like your librarian character where she's got these, you know, big round glasses. Um, just the way her hair is and the way she dresses, she's very proper. And she takes her job really serious. But, yeah, she's a video sensor. And basically one day... You know, she's dealing with this tragedy of when she was younger. Um, her younger sister went missing, and they still haven't found her. I believe when she was like 10 or so, 12, her um, sister, younger sister, went missing, and they haven't been able to find her. And you kind of find that out early in the film. Um, and, it, and she, you know, her parents, and they pretty much want to sign a death certificate to kind of move on and say that she's, you know, dead and to kind of stop you know, to, just to move on with life. But basically, one day, uh, a film producer, Doug, <laughs> who's kind of this sleazy producer, um, gives asks her to watch a film called Don't Go in the Church that's directed by Frederick North. And when she ends up watching this film, she ends up having this reaction because the film basically is about these two young girls, and it kind of sets the scene of what she remembers happening when she was a kid and the sister going into this house, this church, I believe, and then basically going missing there. And there's also this, like, um, actor in it that's kind of like they call the Beast Man, who's kind of weird, you know, looking and pretty scary as well. So that pretty much, you know, sets a trigger off with her that she thinks, you know, something's going on here because this film reminds her of what happened when she was younger, and then she ends up believing that the actress who plays um, the older version, I guess you could say, is actually her sister. <laughs> so she ends up believing that this actress, Alice Lee, um, is actually her sister in real life and that she's, you know, making these films to maybe, <laughs> you know, from her past. And, you know, she's starting to basically lose, you know, um, grip on reality. She, you know, she's telling her parents about this and they don't believe her. They want her to move on. They, you can kind of get the vibe that they kind of, um, somewhat blame her a little bit, even though they've kind of moved on, but, you know, just questioning what happened because obviously in Inrid, Enid was there and they kind of just, you know, just upset, obviously, but they're trying to move on. But Enid's still, you know, basically dealing with this grief and loss of, you know, losing her sister. And like I said, starting to lose a little bit of grip on reality where she's starting to have these dreams. And, you know, there's also stuff going on. Like there's this little bit of a subplot where, you know, she's basically getting blamed because 
this um serial killer that's they called the amnesia that calls himself the amnesia killer because he doesn't remember the murders it was basically a plot of a film that she let you know go through and let people watch so people the public that's where you kind of see you know the background of these you know the video nasty era they're blaming her they're kind of they're kind of like rioting outside where she works you know calling her sending her threatening messages um just basically blaming her that she allowed this film to be released and then you know this murder happened and then you find out later in the film that the um murderer actually never watched the film so that's kind of just a little interesting you know side piece you find out that basically you know it's just a comment that you know movies don't you know have anything to do with some you know stuff like that we'll get into more of my thoughts on the film though towards the end so yeah when she ends up uh, Enid, you know, like I said, she's starting to believe that her sister Nina is actually this actress that's playing in these films. And then she ends up renting another film from the same director, North, um, called Asunder, I believe. And she sees the same actress in there. And that's when she really is convinced about, you know, that being her missing sister. And that's is when, like I said, she started to lose a little bit of grip on reality. And she ends up finding the the address to the film producer and goes to his house and this is a real creepy scene where he basically kind of is forcing himself on her you know and like again she's kind of you know not in the right headspace and she ends up pushing him and he falls backwards and lands on um kind of an awards you know little statue and it just impales him you know through the back of his head through his mouth and it reminded me a lot of um, hot fuzz that scene at the end of hot fuzz and it's real gory and pretty <laughs> gnarly too to be honest i really like that scene as well but she also ends up finding out that the same director is filming you know the don't go into the church uh two and she finds the location goes there and she ends up meeting the director but they um miss you know they think that she's actually an actress and this is where the film starts getting kind of bonkers too and then she ends up talking to the director and he she's trying to get you know information but she doesn't find out much just that the story is basically personal and a true life event and then he ends up just putting Enid in the movie and this is where she's really starting to lose her grip on reality and she's in this scene and she ends up killing the actual actor playing the beast man you know he like opens his chest and you can like see a face through like his where his heart is and then she actually ends up stabbing or no she has an axe i believe and ends up just like you know hacking him in the chest and then you kind of get a you see reality where you know the film crew is actually you know barfing and throwing up and have a, re, an, a, re, a real reaction to this and then she ends up killing the director and then the actress that she believes is her sister nina is running away because she's obviously scared of Enid and she catches up to her and she, you know Enid says that or sorry um, the actress that she believes is her sister says that she has a sister but it's not Enid but then you get like again you, because she's basically losing grip on reality that she ends up kind of having this um, I guess you guess not so much vision but just kind of she's hallucinating you know psychedelic dream that um, this actress actually says that it is her sister Nina and they basically like go into the car and drive off into the sunset and you see like a rainbow and that they end up going to her parents house <laughs> and basically the movie ends with you know this happy ending where 
you see the family, the parents reunite with their missing daughter, Enid's sister, but you get these quick flashes to what's going on in real time and the actress is actually horrified. You see her in the car like screaming that you think basically you're assuming that Enoch basically kidnapped her or is holding her against her will. And then you see the scene where she reunites with the parents, but she's basically just like screaming and scared and pointing at Enid. And that's kind of the end of the movie there. And it actually ends with almost like a film within a film where a video uh, cassette kind of comes out of the VCR and just says censor and then the movie ends there. <laughs> so yeah, that's like I said, like just a quick kind of plot synopsis of the film. Um, there's a lot more that go into it, but I actually had a really good time watching this film. I will say that I think the first half of this film is a lot better than the second half. I think it loses a little bit and doesn't quite stick the landing because the first half of the film is kind of this slow burn. And like I said, I was really interested in Enid and the video nasties during, you know, that era and her job. I, thought, I kind of thought that's what some the film was really going to be about. I knew it was going to have a missing persons, you know, case involved. But I kind of, you know, I was really interested in her work, to be honest, and kind of, you know, what was going on during that time period. And it's a really slow burn. And you're with Enid and you kind of, you know, believe in her. And, you know, like I said, she seems, you know, to be this capable person and, you know, with the right, you know, mindset and headspace. Like I said, you know that she's got some issues behind the scenes and she's dealing with the loss of her sister from years, years ago. And then the film kind of the second half kind of goes, I don't want to say into bonkers territory, but it kind of, you know, you know, steps on the gas pedal and kind of goes into, like I said, when she starts losing, you know, the losing grip on reality, it kind of fast forward to that. And it's kind of, I guess, somewhat of a shock. You know, like I said, you got the slow mood, the slow burn, very moody, tense, you know, uh, film. And then it kind of goes into a little bit bonkers. But I did enjoy the second half as well. You just, you know, it kind of just took a second to get used to. And I will be honest, there was times where I was a little bit confused what was going on. You know, I kind of tried to explain a little bit, just, you know, the bullet point <laughs> of what happened. But I'm not going to lie, there was times in the movie, especially towards the end, I was kind of like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Because you see in it, you know, she's having these dreams and then she's next thing you know, she's, like I said, kind of going crazy somewhat, losing grip on reality. And I did really like the scene when she goes to the producer's house <laughs> and she basically, like I said, he's just a sleazy per film producer and is kind of, you know, throwing himself at her. And then she basically pushes him. I really like the scene where she kills him, basically, even though it's an accident. I just thought that scene was really well done. It kind of was like a oh shit moment <laughs> where this, um, like I said, this an award <laughs> is just like, just impales him and it's just like you know through the back of his head through his mouth just sticking out and he's just like coughing blood and i just really really enjoyed that scene um i'm always for that <laughs> but yeah like i said and then the film i would say the next one she goes to the actual film site where they're filming the second movie where she's again she's thrown into you know they think she's the actress and then you're kind of like okay what's going on is she dreaming this you know is this actually happening i believe from what I believe is that this is actually happening where they actually actually goes to the film set and then they mistaken her for an actress she gets thrown in the movie and I believe everything that happens is basically true 
in, in real life where she kills the actor and then she kills, she chops off the director's head, which is another good scene. And then I do believe that she's basically lost it at this point and she's just like totally not, you know, with it at this point. And then I do like the scene, you know, the ending where I believe, you know, again, she's, you know, chasing after this actress that she believes is her sister. And I believe in her mind, she believes it's her sister. And like I said, you get these scenes of her, it's real sunny and nice, but then it kind of edits the edits really well, where it goes back and forth to where you see what's going on in real life. And the actress is terrified and you see Enid's all bloodied. And so, yeah, I believe, you know, if you look at it, just basically straightforward i believe that's kind of the events of what happened in this film was that she basically just lost lost her mind basically you know grief and loss just not dealing with it and then you can kind of blame i guess i don't know if so much the director or the writers are kind of saying that maybe you know her watching all these films these you know bad nasty horror films you know has made her a little bit kind of lose it and I don't think that's kind of what they're saying but I can see where someone interprets that way I kind of want to give my kind of what's going on at the end end but I can see someone looking at it that way that maybe her watching these horror films you know led her to you know acting this way I don't think that's what they were going for but I can see that and then yeah so the ending of the film is basically her believing that she saw you know, saved her sister, but in reality, it's not her sister. So yeah, like I said, I think it's a straightforward ending, but you know, leaves, you know, you can kind of look at it different ways and you don't know what's going to happen at the end. <laughs> you know, Enid's pretty, you know, off, you know, her rocker at this point, she could kill all of them. You don't really know what's going to happen right at the end after, you know, the film ends. <laughs> um, yeah. So I thought right at the end of this film, I really, you know, compared it in my mind. I was like, wow, this is reminded me of a lot of Saint Ma Saint Maud. This gave me a lot of Saint Maud vibes, especially that ending. So spoilers for Saint Maud if you have not watched that movie, which is a great horror film that came out this during this year actually. And the ending of that film, Maud, you know, she is sacrificing herself, you know, as a martyr, um, killing herself by, you know, pouring gasoline and lighting herself on fire. But you can see her in her mind she's, you know, becoming a saint she's like you know floating in the air rising to heaven um halo on top everyone's bowing down to her you know in prayer and then you get that quick shot of her screaming in agony of reality of her burning alive and that film that film that ending has stuck with me and it's right now it's currently probably my favorite film of 2021 just that ending is so shocking but as soon as this film ended i was like oh wow that really reminded me of saint maude just because it kind of kept going, you know, the editing kept going back and forth of what was going on in its mind and then what was going on in reality, which uh, wasn't as creepy as St. Maud or, you know, but it was still pretty well done. And I actually saw that, you know, I looked, you know, did some research and the editor for this movie censor actually was the editor for St. Maud. So that was, I thought that was really interesting, <laughs> you know, and like I said, right at the end, that's what I really compared it to. So that's pretty cool that, you know, the same editor did both of these movies and kind of had the same, you know, ending effect, I guess you could say. And then you can also look at it, you know, the story behind St. Maud and censor kind of being the same. It's about a young woman that you know basically is dealing with a lot you know a tragedy you know in saint Maud, i believe you know she's dealing with you know the loss when a patient dies and you know going through <laughs> different stuff and then you know in center enid's going through you know the loss of her sister 
and yeah you basically both of them you know kind of lose you know grip on reality you know and trying to you know grieve and you know come to terms with this loss so you can i saw a lot of comparison you know and i kind of can see the comparison with both of these films as well i do think you know but they are different <laughs> so well the other thing i really enjoyed with sensor you know it plays a lot with the aspect ratio especially towards the end you get a lot of different aspect ratio because you know once she goes to the film site and you know it kind of goes into this um, aspect ratio where you're you feel like you're watching a low budget film and then it kind of, you know, expands back and then goes back again. I don't know the actual <laughs> correct terms for these aspect ratios, but it does a lot of different aspect ratios, which I thought was pretty cool and kind of, you know, you know, just something different, I guess you could say, you know, and it wasn't you know, like being, um, you know, like, you know, prestigious or anything. But I thought it was pretty cool, the aspect ratio. Had a lot of giallo vibes, you know, a lot of color. I thought the cinema cinematography was really well done, you know. The coloring in this film was really good, you know, especially, you know, some of her dream sequences, you know, of red and blue. And then when she's in the woods, I thought a lot of the cinematography and the shots were really well done. Pretty moody and atmospheric, pretty creepy as well. You know, like that, you see that guy in the background, you know, and I didn't know where it was going with that, but, you know, it was all pretty well done. I thought, you know, it was pretty cool. So I got a lot of those vibes. It reminded me of watching also, which was another British horror film, was um, In Fabric. It kind of gave me a lot of In Fabric vibes if you've watched that film. And that's another British uh, horror film, but a low budget as well. And that kind of, too, was another like Giallo type of film. Um, in Fabric's Way, you know, <laughs> I got a different story about a killer dress, but kind of gave me those vibes, and I remember watching last year, too, or two years ago, Knife Plus Heart, which was a French horror film that also kind of gave me Giallo vibes. You know, I haven't watched a lot of Giallo films, but, you know, I kind of like them. <laughs> I like the coloring, and, you know, they're just different, and that same with Sensor. I really, you know, I liked where the director went with this film, you know. It kind of just gave me those, you know, 80s horror vibes you know you do get a lot of scenes you know when um, Enid's watching these video nasties you see a lot of um, low budget horror films so like a film within a film and you get to see a lot of those scenes there's some good you know blood and gore and you know I always have a soft spot for you know 80s horror films you know they're just fun to watch sometimes you just don't get films made those ways anymore but yeah Sensor kind of gave me those vibes as well so basically kind of, yeah, the ending and kind of what I thought the film really was going for. Like I said, I saw it pretty much as a straightforward film. And um, Enid basically, you know, everything that happened in this film, I believed actually happened. You know, I don't think there's too much you can say. You know, I don't, you know, I know, I believe, you know, what the director was going for. But I believe everything happened in this film. And, you know, what Enid was seeing and believing and what was happening in reality. But kind of what I was getting from this film was that, you know, I think it's kind of a metaphor for your own personal demons. And, you know, Enid, even though she is the, you know, sense, you know, she's um, providing and censoring these movies. It's just interesting, you know, because she's dealing with her own personal demons. And, and a lot of times, too, as much as you can censor a movie, you really can't censor your life, basically. And, you know, I don't want to go too deep and I'm not smart enough to go that deep. But basically you know you can't censor life and reality and what happens you know bad things happen like in Ina's case her sister going missing and you know dealing with grief and loss and when you try to censor like a film basically you know it's just interesting because you can't 
you know, and you can't censor real life, basically. You got to deal with this stuff. And her, you know, suppressing all this, you know, and holding it back and not really dealing with her grief and loss and moving on, basically, led her to kind of lose it and, you know, you know, have this psychotic breakdown, basically, where, you know, it's just interesting, I guess you could say. <laughs> I keep saying that. I guess I don't have too much more to add. But that's kind of the vibe I was getting with this film was that, it's just interesting during that time period, you know, they were so trying to censor everything and stop the violence and they thought, you know, these movies would lead towards something. But in reality, that's not so much the case. That's not going to happen. You know, a lot of horror is a gateway for, you know, dealing with stuff and you because, you know, it's not real. That's what the, I saw an interview with the director and she said that, you know, she likes horror films and she, a lot of people watch horror films because of that. It's kind of a release and you know it's not real and it's not going to happen. So it's kind of just this safe space, I guess you could say. And she also mentioned a little bit how a lot of people are going towards horror films, especially now, you know, with dealing with, you know, COVID and this past year, you know, there was a lot of stress going on. So a lot of people were going towards horror to kind of just release, you know, <laughs> that you know, anger and built up and, you know, like I said, kind of like a safe space to just, you know, this isn't real and it's just fun to, you know, watch these horror films. But yeah, it's kind of what I was getting from Sensor. I think you could dive deeper into it. I don't think I'm qualified or smart enough to kind of go into all the metaphors, but that's kind of just what I was getting from it. I was thinking, you know, I was just really kind of hit upon that, you know, these censors and also too, like who is qualified basically to censor these films, you know, who has the right to say this is what is good and this is what is not good. Um, the director also said when she, she interviewed some people when she did her short film Nasty from people during the video Nasty Times and I think like one was like a psychologist and one was like an actress. So like two different, you know, um, careers and education, but that's kind of too what I was thinking, you know, who really has the right to censor these films? Because, you know, in Enid's case, she's censoring these films and she's doing a good job, but she's also dealing with a lot of stuff, you know, and grief and she's not dealing with it. So what qualifies her to, you know, say what is good for us to watch and not? That's, you know, a kind of a little bit what I was getting to from this film thinking. <laughs> but I think the main message kind of too was just, you know, you know, Enid, you know, doing a really good job and, you know, censoring those films, but again, she really, you know, you can't censor life and reality and what's going to happen, basically. So, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts with the film. I really had a good time watching Censor. Hope more people do check it out. I ended up giving it a three and a half out of five on Letterboxd. Like I said, I just had a really good time watching. I really liked the first half. I liked the mood. I liked the build. The score was pretty good as well, and just the dread and the tension. And I thought you know, like the production design was really good too. Just like Enid, her character, like I said, she kind of has, she's like this librarian type character, you know, very proper hair, you know, all up in a tight bun. And then towards, you know, you see her basically as she's like losing her grip on reality, she, you know, she's starting to just, you know, become a little more messier in her appearance and everything. And, you know, I liked her, her glasses as well. You know, she had like the chain around where you could like hang it as a necklace. I don't know what those are called, but yeah. And then just interesting, like where she was working, you know, as the censor, you know, it was just like this, you know, stuffy office and kind of dark and gloomy. And you know? whenever she's walking somewhere too, she's like, almost looked like she was like on the underground, like um, walking through like tunnels almost, I guess you could say. I don't know exactly the correct <laughs> where she was, but it was just really grimy and dark and you really don't see 
you know, I think it seems like everything was taking place at night almost in this film. You don't see too much until the end when you get that, like, her mind seeing everything where it was like the sun was out on a rainbow, but just like um, the filtering on that, you knew it wasn't real. It was kind of like a dream sequence. But yeah, a lot of this film is just dark and grimy and moody, very 1980s, you know, giallo horror film type vibes I was getting. <laughs> so I had a lot of a lot of fun watching this film and a lot to think about too watching it. Hope I explained it somewhat well. <laughs> I was trying, you know, it's kind of, you know, a lot of thoughts were just in my head after watching this film. But you know, like I said, again, I don't think it quite stuck the landing, but I really appreciate what it was going for. And it was pretty much an original idea. And I, you know, was, you know, the film introduced me to these video nasties in this era and I got to, you know, research and, you know, look it up. So yeah, if you're interested, you know, definitely Google video nasties, that era, it's definitely interesting to read about. And yeah, definitely check out Censor. Like I said, you know, it's actually out in theaters, you know, and it comes out later. I don't know when you listen to this, but it's coming out later in the summer, I believe, in the UK and other countries. So definitely check out this film. And also you can rent it on VOD. I hope it lands on a streaming site. You know, more people do check it out. That's going to do it for this week's episode. I'm also going to definitely keep an eye out for this uh, director. I thought she did a really good job, to be honest. You know, this is a good... Um, debut for a feature you know horror film so she's definitely gonna be one to keep i think towards the end of the year you're gonna hear her name for like these smaller uh spirit indie award awards or you know whatever they do <laughs> i think you're gonna hear her name and for first time director and stuff you're gonna hear you know more horror critics talk about her because i think she did a really good job with this film she definitely has a bright future and also as a writer too i thought the you know the script and everything was pretty solid so definitely keep an eye out for her that's prano bailey bond <laughs> But yep, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks, as always, for the listen. And you can follow the um, podcast on Twitter at Light Horror Pod. You can send a DM through there as well and, or a direct message if you have any questions or anything. But follow the podcast there. It's where I give updates to what's going on. And you can also follow my personal letterbox at KJ Steiner. Hope everyone's having a good week, and I'll check you guys out next time. Bye-bye.